could run two million processes, but did I need <laughs> Exactly. Alex, how are you? Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay, but I see you upside down. <laughs> it's a good thing we're not recording. Oh no, we are recording. Oh no. Oh, you're doing a play on Beanbag. I don't know if that's going to come across. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Beam Radio. And this is actually a very special episode because it is our first, second episode. And what I mean by that is... As our listeners might know at this point, our fabulous panel of hosts rotates and kind of takes on this main hosting responsibility, picks the topic, walks us through a fascinating and extremely compelling conversation. And we've gone through all of our roster of hosts once and our very first host to go a second time is Lars Vickman, who I'll welcome now. Welcome, Lars. Thank you. And hello. Hey, Lars. And we also have with us today, Josh Adams. Hi, Josh. Hey there. Welcome, Josh. We've got Alex Kutmo. Howdy, howdy. Hey, and of course, Bruce Tate. Hey, everybody from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Bruce. So before we jump into some of the topic for today, we would love to hear a word from our sponsor, which you guys know is Graxio. What's up with Graxio? Yeah, so this is the first week that we've been in our Flux content, and Flux ML is a machine learning library for Flux. And the thing I'd like about doing Flux right now is that, of course, there's recently been the Elixir um, announcements around machine learning. And this is a great way to learn a lot of the math and the foundational concepts in a mathematically elegant language, the Julia language. Yeah, and I think uh, many of our listeners have probably kept up with the latest news about NX and Elixir. And I think uh, if you're like me and if you feel like you love Elixir and you're sort of interested, intrigued by machine learning. You feel like there's a lot of potential there, but felt like you can't do math or could never really learn math. I think the content up on Graxio is gonna have uh, a lot of good stuff in there for you. So I'm certainly excited to check that out. All right, so before we jump into our main topic for today, we would love to just hear a little bit from Lars, today's host. What's new with you? Anything that you wanna share? Any announcements you wanna shout out? could be Elixir related and Beam related, or it could just be life related. What's up with Lars? Yeah, lots of lots of client work right now, mostly. So I've I really hunkered down for for a good batch of, uh, so I, I do consulting for uh, clients on a freelance basis. And uh, lots of that right now. Uh, apparently there's a demand for Elixir development out there. I keep hearing people ask, ask if you can really work with Elixir. Turns out, turns out you have to start turning people away at a certain point. Um, and beyond that, uh, we have some teething. So the nine month old baby is, is definitely a little bit grumpy, but also adorable. So things are pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely recommend that anyone check out your newsletter if they haven't yet. There's so much good stuff in there, not just very, you know, technical and specific to Elixir Lang and other programming challenges, but I've also just really enjoyed hearing about what you've been learning and experiencing in this consultant life as you're working with different types of companies. Um, I'm not going to butcher the name of your newsletter. I'm going to ask you to shout it out right now. Oh, thank you for mentioning it. Uh, and I'm glad you enjoy it. It's underyord.io or underyord if you want to spell it so um, underyord.io is the site and you can find the newsletter there excellent yeah we'll add that to the show notes 
All right, so before we jump into our main topic, one more shout out that we want to throw out there. I don't know if any of our listeners saw this on Twitter, but we want to hear from you guys. We want to answer your questions. We want to know what you want to know about Elixir, about programming in the Beam, about us, about our experiences. So hit us up on Twitter at Beam Radio One and ask a question for our mailbag. And we're going to do a very special giveaway because we are so excited to hear from you guys. We will be picking uh, one or two questions. What did we decide, you guys, for our for our freebie? One or two. We'll do one or two TBD uh, of the questions that come in, and you will get a free Beam Radio T-shirt. And I got to say, you know, we all get a lot of tech t-shirts. This is a very nice t-shirt. It's very soft. It's got our excellent logo on it. So I think that should definitely be reason enough to hit us up on Twitter with your questions. Like I said, we really want to hear from you. So look out for that. And I think with that, I'll hand it over or back rather to Lars. Tell us about our topic for today. Yeah. So a little bit of introduction. When I got into working with Erlang or mostly Elixir, but on top of Erlang, what sort of surprised me and delighted me was the extent to which the things are built, not just to work and get you going, but that they are actually built to work well and to be structurally sound at a deeper level than I would say most things are built in other ecosystems I've been in. I think this all starts back at Erlang. I can't speak to Erlang in detail, but I can speak to some of it at a higher level and how Erlang like tackled distributed computing and balanced like technical execution with a strong model in the actor model and bringing in a good paradigm for sort of abstracting the challenge of running multiple computers, doing multiple things at the same time for a single system. Uh, and it seems like they set, they didn't get hung up on creating a perfect solution. And instead they achieved actual industrial use. So we have Erlang and OTP, which is a very pragmatic and powerful standard library. Um, with some limitations and some trade-offs here and there as it's sort of, but generally I think it makes sense. I think the the level which they've settled on makes sense. And I think Elixir has a culture of building very similarly to that. So with Phoenix, we see a web framework that is built on top of OTP and those foundations. But since it's about web and web developers, often don't deal with sort of distributed systems problems on a daily basis. Uh, you aren't forced to tackle those problems when using Phoenix, at least not upfront. Um, you just provide your responses to your web requests. And sort of that keeps going throughout different parts of Elixir and Phoenix, I find. like. Phoenix pub sub channels and presence all like I could see all of these simplistic sort of APIs built in, uh, for example, Django or where I, where I have some experience, like the experience of using web sockets, that's not so special with channels. It's just web sockets, but it works over a cluster. It works with pub sub, uh, 
and these building blocks and these sound foundations sort of becomes more important to me to some extent than than the specifics i think we see this in presence where they rather than just like oh we have some database backed sort source of truth it's like no let's get into the computer science papers of it and actually solve this well in a way that can scale and that doesn't require inefficiencies of that sort so i think that's something we see again and again in around elixir lang and the beam and i think that's very interesting yeah i i definitely second this and i think that one of the things that's interesting to me is this idea of getting things not just conceptually correct, but in the right layers and the combinations that, that dependencies are broken across good boundaries. Uh, I, I had a really cool moment as we worked through the NERVS Groxio module when Frank and I were kind of talking about how to actually do communication within the sensor hub um, that, that we built. And we were saying, how, how do you want to do this? And, and Frank said, well, I don't know, because the way that I would usually solve this problem is too heavyweight for what you're doing. And um, we said, well, why don't we try a PubSub adapter and um, use the, the PG, the process group um, under, under the hood? And we did. And um, that thing was up in a matter of, I don't know, um, he, he got the demo running in about five minutes. And of course, um, it took me a little bit longer to get it to get it right, but it was still, you know, four to six lines of code in the overall system. And I had, you know, it, it kind of wrecked my writing because um, I had dedicated this huge chunk of, of space for all the communications layer. And um, I had to go somewhere else with it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's been my experience time and again, working with Elixir and, and working with Phoenix. And I feel like I've mentioned this before, on the topic of like ramping up new teams on Elixir and, and being able to be really productive really soon. I feel like I've seen team members come into this space of having to write Elixir, write Phoenix for the first time and having to solve problems that they've never seen before in these languages and frameworks. And I'll think to myself, oh God, like a brand new thing. This is going to add time to the project. You know, what am I going to do? Just, you know, the stress of project management. And then, you know, hours later, the team will come back and say, well, you know, we've got it working. And I've seen that when working with channels, when channels were still the way uh, to do interactivity, because of course it's live view band now. I've seen it when working with presence, when working with live view. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, one of the many reasons why I'm, I'm an Elixir evangelist and why I think it's not a tough sell to businesses, right? Because it's easy to ramp up on these things and get them right immediately because these technologies are so robust, just kind of like how you said, Lars. As, as maybe a counter to that, there was a technology that a lot of people used for doing real-time stuff and it was Meteor. And there's still lots of people that really like it, but it clearly has no future. So like, you don't wanna be in the situation where that's what you built, I don't think. And I think one of the other, uh, maybe like key components of the Elixir and Erlang community is the fact that we all kind of come together and try to push these technologies forward, like as a community. Uh, it doesn't seem like we have, you know, a ton of fragmentation in the community and every other week we try to spin up brand new web servers or, you know, brand new uh, embedded uh, Elixir uh, platforms. So we're all kind of coming together and trying to push these, these uh, libraries and frameworks forward. 
and it really does benefit the entire community. I mean, one, one of the things that I've been diving into is um, you know, telemetry and Prometheus and stuff like that. And Promix the library would not be possible if so many people weren't using telemetry. I mean, there's no way to capture all of those uh, metrics from all these kind of like disparate uh, libraries if there's no uniformity and we're not all trying to work together to make this community tooling better and better. So I think that's something rather unique to the, uh, the Elixir and Erlang community. Alex, I definitely agree with that take. And I think that it's really because of two primary reasons. Um, one, we'll get to in a little bit, I'm sure, it's the abstractions underneath the, for all the various layers that you're dealing with, whether you're um, in the core where you have like the, the pipes and the beautiful um, functions that you could use to compose things, whether you're in the boundary where you're dealing with uncertainty or whether you're in the boundary and you're dealing with external interfaces. We'll get to that in a second, I'm sure. But I think that there's also this beautiful patience in the leadership in, in the Elixir community, whether you're talking about, you know, Frank um, and, and Justin in the NERVS community, where they kind of give time for the community to come along and come behind with support in, in kind of this beautiful and selfless way. Um, and oh my gosh, Chris McCord, he's, he's just got this way of building the right thing at the right time once the layers underneath have been established. We didn't see Phoenix kind of grow up with, with live view first, right? What we saw is this, um, this beautiful framework of you know, one, one small step at a time with, with plug that kind of weaved together the whole request response. And then once, once that was put together and we talked about that, um, then it was um, what, what is the um, the database backend model and how to um, changes flow through that and and how do you get that right and then once that was together, it's um, you know, Sophie mentioned channels and the idea that um, that there's this kind of conversation that you can keep in state um, and then we pushed a little bit more to the infrastructure right and and once that's in the infrastructure then you can come on top with another layer the live view layer um, and and you can kind of push push the JavaScript bit into that too. So it's this, this wonderful patience, humility, and, and timing um, from, from the entire Elixir leadership. Yeah, I feel like the looking back, like the story of iterating towards Live View is such a nice story to tell. And it's, I think, a wonderful example to all of us just in our day-to-day -day lives, kind of doing our jobs as software engineers of how to take steps towards something that you know, works and solve problems for us. And I think that, you know, you start working with channels for the first time and you're thinking like, this is incredible. Like I'm holding this stateful conversation on the back end. Uh, everything is here for me, everything I need to do. I don't have the overhead, you know, the mental overhead of creating a separate client side application. And you do that a few times and then you think, huh, like there's kind of a lot of boilerplate here. It's kind of a pain to set up my channel and set up the JavaScript on the front end. And there's things that I'm doing again and again and again that have nothing to do with the actual feature I'm trying to deliver, but have everything to do with just setting up this communication and then enter live view and kind of take that boilerplate and move it into the framework. And I feel like that's an experience that I've had a lot when working with Elixir and working with Phoenix. If you've ever had a moment where you're like, oh, this is kind of a pain. I wish I didn't have to do this. I feel like, you know, days later sometimes or weeks later or months later, there's a new solution that, that takes that away from you. And I think one thing that comes to mind uh, for me just as like a personal experience I've had on that topic is 
in live view, I was trying to um, get something working where I was using it to build. This was when it was like super, super brand new, using it to build like a little chat room. And I couldn't figure out how to get the scroll bar for the chat room to scroll down to the bottom, like if a new message showed up. So I came up with this whole thing. Like I basically created this like sidecar channel and I was using PubSub and like a registry to send messages to the client so that, you know, it could get this message when a new chat message came through and scroll the window down. And I turned this into a talk and I gave this talk at ElixirConf. And um, the day before I gave the talk, a student in a, in a workshop that I was doing there uh, said, hey, you know, uh, you don't have to do this. Like basically yesterday they came up with JS interop and now you don't need any of this craziness. Like it's all in JavaScript and it's all put into the framework. So obviously that was so, fantastic and fun to be told that your whole talk is completely obsolete like 12 hours before you give it but that's not a terrible experience to have right to find that you have a problem that it's a pain to solve and then the framework solves it for you and I think that happens a lot in this community it's better than the alternative where you still have to give that talk three years from now that's very true yeah and I think we also see these sort of things uh, go for things outside of let's say uh the main line of like elixir and phoenix those are clearly dominant the nerves has has a very clear uh domain of its own but for things like okay gen stage and broadway they're sort of off slightly off the beaten path for at least for web developers and gen stage is as far as I'm aware, the building block for Broadway. And both of these solve different sort of abstraction levels of uh, dealing with data ingestion, mostly or data flow. And then we have things like scheduled work or background work and doing reliable background work, which I find the Oban library is absolutely brilliant for. And the way in which that library is built is like a very careful sprinkling of Postgres features combined with what you would expect from an OTP and Elixir application. Um, and I like that whenever I pick up a new library in Elixir land, I am usually not surprised by how it works. It's like, okay, yeah, they solved the problems I wanted them to solve that I don't want to deal with. And they did it mostly in the way I would expect at this point. It's it's simple, gen, simple in quotation marks, but uh, simple things like gen servers and even, even things like um, configuration management and releases that have not been perfect from day one. Uh, I feel like they are being iterated and they're being iterated both in the community and like sort of central leadership and finding a way that's like, okay, how do we actually want this to work? How do we do this well? And it seems like the community is very much on board with finding that path along with whoever's driving the, the language at any given point. So I, I think that's, that's uh, maybe not unique, but it's certainly not common in in online communities that that there is this sort of like we just want to build forward and build better we don't have three competing web frameworks 
we've had competing web frameworks, but I've sort of fallen by the wayside, probably because they didn't offer enough of a difference to Phoenix. So yeah, I, I think this is, if not unique, then fairly uncommon. And I really like this about the, the Elixir community. Now, can this be sustained and maintained as the Elixir community grows? And how do we keep it if we like it? I think my first question though is like, why? Why are we so good at this? Why is the community so good at iterating in this way, at solving problems, um, you know, that, that really help us move faster? And I, I don't know, what do you guys think? I really think that the, a huge part of this is the basic abstractions are right. Um, and, and they're right on so many levels. Um, and, and it's not any one group. Um, it's it's a whole lot of work that has gone to kind of support this this elixir thing. Um, first, there's the whole beam infrastructure and this whole OTP ID uh, idea, and, and we've talked about the idea that um, that OTP is about turning it off and on again, and that this whole framework can achieve incredible reliability without a lot of the complexity of some of the typing systems that, that have come after. But I also believe that there are abstractions built onto this in very much an intentional way. The idea that when you're able to build a language in itself, it's more powerful. And that means that you have to have a macro system. But if you have a macro system like the one in Clojure that kind of devastates the syntax with, with the, um, you know, where everything is prefixed notation and you have to deal with the likeness of the structure and you don't have the sugar that throws things off a little bit. I mean, it, it did for me, I, was, I wasn't able to get it as a dyslexic, um, but being able to split the idea of the macro system, you know, the data is code and the representation of that code as functions and and with the appropriate sugar is really a powerful thing. And then when you build on the abstractions on top of that and to have the protocols so that you have the efficiency, you can extend the individual elements of the language. And then you have the extension of things like pipe that allow you to compose things cleanly in the back end. And then you have the type system, but all these, these, um, these turtles are, right on top of each other, right? It, one abstraction builds on the next, which builds on the next. And when you have that lower level system right, it, it feels good. And, and that's kind of what we have right now. So Jose gave this talk called What Elixir is About. And I'm, I'm fascinated with this, this talk. I've kind of watched it three or four times um, this year. He kind of says, this is what I want to do. And now we're kind of seeing all these dominoes fall, you know, many years later. Uh, it's, it's a real beautiful thing. Yeah, I definitely want to echo the fact that the, you know, the Beam and OTP really do give us these guardrails to ensure that we're we're structuring applications correctly. I think uh, I think one of Sasha Yurik's talks was was solid ground, and I think that was a very very well named talk, because anytime we're coding on the Beam, we are standing on very solid ground, and I feel like it's uh, uh, I feel like I'm bowling but with bumpers up every time I'm on the Beam, right? Like if I want to do something stateful. I use a, I could I could reach for a gen server and throw up my supervision tree. And you know, right there I have a whole bunch of guarantees that come along with that very, very simple pattern that 
in another runtime or another language, I, there was a, there's a lot of boilerplate that I would have to do in order to get those same guarantees. And I think the fact that we have these, these very foundational tools at our disposal, I, I think gives us quite the springboard to build things like, you know, like Phoenix, build things like Oban. And uh, it, maybe that answers your question uh, from earlier, Sophie. I also wanted to give a shout out to the Erlang questions mailing list. Uh, if you like talking about these things and seeing where the people are doing the discussions about how to make sure the foundation is solid, uh, it's a great mailing list to follow. I also want to give a shout out to the people at the Pragmatic Bookshelf because um, so much of what we do is made possible because we have this idea that to be able to do something at a surface level, like with, with the information that you can get on a blog is, is one thing, but, but the Elixir publishing story is really quite fabulous. And to make an investment like this in such a young language, that was a pretty big bet for, for the Prags. And I'm glad they did it. And, and it's made a huge difference to our development of the next generation of leadership. And there's also kind of this ongoing thread with me. Uh, languages that I love have books written by Dave Thomas at the at the early stages. Yeah, I could definitely uh, admit to having I think three quarters of the Elixir books from uh, from the Prague uh, the Prague uh, publisher. So, so now that we've patted ourselves as a community on the back sufficiently, as like um, to answer. Sophie's question, why are we so good at this? It's probably the humility. It's probably, <laughs> probably that. that. Yeah, uh, when you're humble, you know, it's easy to yeah. get stuff done. Uh, no, but do you guys know of examples where this hasn't worked out in Elixir or sort of other examples of, of where you feel like the things that are mostly being done right right now uh, wasn't? I can't, like, not really at all. I don't want to go back into the patting ourselves on the back thing, but I tried real hard. <laughs> I know, I feel like this episode has just turned into us, like, you know, gushing about how much we love Elixir and the Elixir community, which is completely on brand, obviously, for everyone Breaking. on this panel, yeah. I can't think of anything either. There, there are definitely things that have, that have been sort of established and then moved on from, I think, something that was common in the early days of Elixir was, okay, I'm going to take this ID from Ruby uh, and sort of how Rails worked. And I'm going to make whatever whatever auth looked like in Ruby for uh, the beam, or I'm going to make whatever this library was in Ruby and make it for the beam. And some of those libraries turned out good, but some of them have sort of been left by the wayside. And then there's been like, how many HTTP clients and how many JSON <laughs> encoders, decoders. So it's not a entirely flawless trip, but I think we've, I think the state is very nice. Uh, I'm sure there's been rocky roads for, for some of the people, especially early on. Yeah, I think that there's, there's a lot to unpack in what you said there, Lars. It's kind of like when, when you came from Java into Ruby, everybody built this dependency injection. Um, and then, you know, all the Ruby people said, what is this? We don't need this, right? And the same thing happened with, with um, coming from Ruby into the, uh, the Elixir community. Everybody would make this, um, 
RSpec texting framework again, or um, everybody was trying to bring along object-oriented inheritance. How do I do inheritance? How do I do inheritance? But I think that one aspect of, of building an effective community is really understanding the concept of the trash can, right? What belongs in the trash can? How do you throw things away? And how do you detach your identity? Um, when things get thrown away, people leave communities, right? It's, um, it's a hard thing. It's, I'm, I'm not sure that anybody can navigate that particularly well, but, um, but the idea that when you have the, um, the feedback mechanisms that we have in the community, um, a good way to manage a trash can is to, um, is to promote good, healthy frameworks, publish them on hex, and also publish the statistics for what's popular and what's used. That gives us the tools to, um, to actually make those decisions in real time. And we did not have that before Hex. So when I was doing Erlang stuff and I was trying to pick Erlang packages, it was, it was absolutely a crapshoot, honestly, just, just awful. And I, I think in some, some of the things that you mentioned, Lars, we are seeing a bit of a convergence on like some more of the, you know, the popular tooling. I think, uh, I think Jason now has become, I think the number one hex package downloaded. If it's any indicator of what we're <laughs> primarily using to encode and decode uh, uh, JSON data, definitely can echo the HTTP client thing. Cause there's always uh, like a hundred to choose from. I think I even wrote a blog post on what HTTP client to choose nowadays, but uh, it, it seems like I think that story is getting better as more and more people are coming into the community to take on a lot of these uh, these efforts. Uh, another one that comes to mind was the, uh, I think it was the AWS uh, library for a lot of the uh, uh, services that AWS offers. I think, you know, more people are stepping up and saying, hey, I'll own this, uh, you know, this, uh, this package and see its development through. You know, so may maybe that'll, maybe that'll be alleviated in time as more people step up and say, hey, you know, I know this is an important library. I'll I'll own it and I'll kind of uh, shepherd it to uh, you know to that mythical one O in the Elixir community. Yeah, and I think one challenge sort of is that since there is this culture of making things that are sort of thoroughly considered, properly designed, well built out, like there's a lot of effort that goes in. And I think there we definitely have the sort of leadership leading the way. Just look at the NX thing. That could have been so much simpler if they just taken all the shortcuts and like, yeah, we, we, we made shelling out to Python easier. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, we have a machine learning now. And that sort of, I didn't really expect that because I know, um, Jose tends to push further than that, but I also did, did not expect the level of sort of sweet spot that it seems like NX is hitting where we're not building the entire compiler. <laughs> we're not, we don't need to maintain that. The community can't maintain that. It's too much work. Uh, so we ride on this XLA stuff. Okay. But the sort of building blocks that are in Elixir, those need to be solid. And I think this is sort of reflected when people, 
I think part of why we don't have a proper CMS built in Elixir is that there are very few good ways of building a really, really solid CMS. It's incredibly hard work. It's a weird, weird design space with incredibly inconvenient trade-offs. And I think if you want to build one that should be accepted by the community, it would have to be built right. And how in the world do you build that right? Uh, Alex, I think you can speak to this somewhat with your work on Promix because it doesn't seem like you took the shortcut there. Rather, you tried to ship the absolute best uh, library you could for the space you're in. Uh, there's a lot of ambition in there. Uh, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, Promix has been probably a couple of years in the thinking and then the last like eight months of all my free time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, kind of did what you what you just mentioned, Lars, where it was a lot of like a lot of mental planning. Uh, like I was running a lot of things in my head. Like if I do it this way, these are the trade-offs I make. If I write it this way, these are the trade-offs I make. I, I think like a lot of tools in the Elixir space, I, I came to the conclusion that I'll try to do kind of like the 80-20 rule. So with... Uh, with the functionality that I offer, I'll try to suit the 80% use case. But if you want to do something else that maybe you know breaks the you know, the opinionated bits of the framework, I'll give you the, the escape hatches you need in order to get that done. And I think I think that's something we see in a lot of uh, the libraries in the Elixir ecosystem. And I think it's also something that we get from uh, from being a functional language, right? Like I'm not doing any data hiding. You know, you have access to all the structs, you have access to all the modules, you could do whatever you'd like. And uh, I think that's something that we're we're lucky in the Elixir uh, ecosystem to have a functional language where you know, in your controller you get the whole construct. You could do whatever you want, even even something that the library authors didn't intend you to do. Uh, you know, you, you could do whatever you'd like. And I think that gives us a lot of flexibility and a lot of power. And um, yeah, that's at least that's how I approached the library was try to you know have a solid foundation and then provide the appropriate escape hatches when you need to do something that maybe I just don't have the time to maintain. Yeah, and I think I imagine you could have shipped Promex a lot quicker and a lot easier if you just shipped some data points and didn't care about the dashboards and the all the detail you went through, but the building blocks were there. The telemetry event and stuff was there. So you sort of opened the door and when a curious developer sees potential to do a great job, not just a good job, uh, I think that's where, where the fun starts, stuff starts to happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And a lot of the tooling that's in the Beam Telemetry uh, GitHub organization open that door for me. It wouldn't have been possible without it. I mean, there's no way to make a, you know, a, a Grafana and Prometheus monitoring solution if, uh, all, you know, all the libraries in the ecosystem don't leverage this consistent tooling. It would just be way, way too difficult. And I've, I've tried making, um, uh, not necessarily libraries like this, but I have done a lot of observability work in other ecosystems, and it was just painful. Like writing you know, writing stuff to hook into Express, for example, is like, you feel like you're always hacking around it. You attach callbacks to execute after your, um, after your function or after your request is uh, uh, serviced. 
uh, if you try to do something in like SQLize, which is another node uh, ORM library, good luck. Like everything there has to be bespoke versus in, uh, you know, in, in the Elixir ecosystem where we have telemetry, it's not bespoke. We all follow this consistent interface. And while it seems super simplistic, right? You only have measurements and metadata. That, that's really all you need. And I think this gets back to that, uh, you know, people are putting a lot of thought and time into these things. And while it does seem simple, that's on purpose. And it's just as powerful as if it, you know, as if it were complex. Yeah, I think like the telemetry libraries are such a great example of that. And we mentioned a little bit earlier, this experience of starting to look under the hood of how something works, you know, one of these libraries and, and finding that, yeah, it works pretty much like how you expect. And there's no weird, hacky, fancy magic to offer this functionality to you. And that was definitely my experience when starting to chase through some of the telemetry code, which was my first time reading any Erlang. And I was very nervous that I wouldn't be able to grok uh, any of it. But again, it kind of works exactly like you would expect. It's beautifully simple under the hood. You're storing stuff in ads and you're looking it up from ads. Uh, it's simple because it doesn't have to be complicated, again, because of the strong foundation of these technologies, the strong foundation of, of Erlang. The right layering. Yeah. Yeah, and I find it interesting that it seems to pull ambition out of people uh, in the way that sort of Chris McCord has definitely modeled in in his way with with pushing further like channels, presence, live view. Uh, those are ambitious projects, uh, and since he has also had Jose backing him up, maybe they didn't seem very like maybe they seemed more achievable uh, as a consequence of that but he he's been giving talks where he's spoken about trying to do basically this in ruby and he he did do this in ruby but it has its challenges for this type of technology and i think we see it again with sort of hex that's probably the most powerful low-key success story of elixir it's just brilliant throughout. I love working with the docs in Elixir. And that hasn't been the case in almost any other language I've touched. They've often been fine. For example, PHP docs were revolutionarily good at the time uh, when I started with PHP. And the Python docs are fine. But the Elixir docs are actually teaching environments for me. That's, that's where I'm learning. And then we have things like Nerves, which is an incredibly ambitious scope of a system where they're basically creating an IoT platform from scratch and building it in a way where you can work at a higher level with something like Elixir or Erlang and build interesting uh, hardware systems. And then like Scenic, like I, I haven't seen as much activity in scenic as I would have loved to, but it it's definitely ambitious and it definitely has that touch of like, we're doing it differently and we're doing it right. We're building from very, very solid foundations. And for example, Lumen, uh, which has not arrived. Uh, at, <laughs> you, couldn't, you couldn't use it for anything right now but I think that it's the same sort of ambition where we want to build something that's way better than 
if we just shipped the simplest solution to this problem. Uh, and I think the community and ecosystem sort of pulls that out of people, that sort of ambition. Uh, and it does make it trickier to ship things, but it's also much, much better when it does ship. Yeah, Lars. So one of the things that I, I noticed that, that you talked about was the idea that, that the documentation is complete and instructive. And um, as editors, as the past and um, current editor of the um, Elixir line of books, um, myself as the past and Sophie as the present editor, we notice that there aren't any references in Elixir. And that's, that's actually a good thing because the reference should be the documentation. Um, that's an ambitious goal, but it's the right goal. And um, folks who would contribute to a reference book, they just don't exist because the documentation is so good. Yeah, and I think it's it's this cycle kind of based on what you're saying, Lars. It's like the foundational technologies are so robust and so elegant and support solving such a wide variety of problems in a way that is sane and very achievable. So you see people who are using them to solve problems in ways that are sane and achievable, building libraries, building frameworks that are widely used and adopted. And then it becomes kind of like a pleasure to write about them. It becomes easy and satisfying to document them in a way that people can really learn from because you don't have to say, oh God, how am I gonna explain this horrible thing? It was so confusing. That's just not, that's not an issue that you have to face. Yeah, it definitely tends to pull wild ideas out of me. Uh, just with the, the sort of things I wouldn't normally consider attempting. For example, there's a library called Delta CRDT. So it's a CRDT uh, that implements sort of a dictionary structure. And there's a nice... Um, key value store called CubDB. And I feel like stitching these together and doing some offline online uh, syncing and just building a system that's that sort of deals with that. And I don't even know where I'd start in most ecosystems. But there's enough weirdly ambitious people out there just building great libraries and super interesting projects that you can stitch together and they fit together because they're building on familiar building blocks. And because the basics of building sort of distributed systems in Elixir is not crazily challenging. If you've done it once or twice, you sort of get comfortable. Uh, the message passing way of doing things uh, is so much easier <laughs> than what I've had experience with in the past. And it's like, you have implementations of Raft out there. You have all these wildly uh, complicated things already solved for you in a consistent way. You don't have to buy into their whole idea of what, a, what an application is. You don't have to buy into the whole distribution framework of something. You just pull in the library and do the thing and you get it. <laughs> yeah, it, it unlocks a lot of mad scientists in me and I really, really appreciate that about this ecosystem. Lars, I want to hear some of these mad scientist ideas. Like what's your craziest idea that you wanted to implement with Elixir? Oh, then we get into sort of nerves, uh, nerves as an operating system and 
edge uh, edge devices trying to make a very distributed sort of data center for for small nonprofit organizations and stuff uh, not feasible right now mostly <laughs> mostly i don't have time to get into it properly but there's so much i want to do so much and all of it seems sort of achievable which is weird yeah, it's funny you should say that. There's a there's a man that gave a talk at Lone Star, um, maybe two, no, gosh, it was four years ago now because I was still in Austin, but um, but he talked about this this um, this project that he had where there was a whole Java data center. I mean, just racks and racks and racks of um, of hardware, and um, you know sometimes in um, in this region of Mexico the um, you know, the, the communication infrastructure wasn't so good. Uh, so this guy wanted to put his Elixir server in, in, that, um, in that farm. And everybody said, absolutely not, absolutely not. And so he got this idea of, um, of putting a Raspberry Pi. And, you know, he, he just, he, he had this line at the conference that just slayed everybody. It's the, the one that everybody remembers. So I can, he'd just turn up the accent and he would say, it's just a little pie. You put it in the corner. Nobody will know. <laughs> it just brought the house down. It was an amazing moment. Um, yeah, fantastic. I'll, I'll try to find the talk if I can and drop it in the show notes. Yeah, thanks for that. And I think if our listeners are curious to hear more about wild and crazy Elixir project ideas, they can ask us on Twitter. One more shout out for the questions from our listeners. So you guys can just at Beam Radio One on Twitter, hit us up with your questions. You could win a free t-shirt. How thrilling. We would love to hear from y'all. And I think that wraps up this episode of Beam Radio. Uh, I do have one last question for you guys, which I'm not really sure is relevant to this podcast, but I'm about to get in the car and drive for two hours and I need a podcast to listen to. And it needs to be riveting because I find driving very boring. Any suggestions, go. The No Agenda Show. Oh, what's up? Adam Curry was a MTV VJ. He's also the guy that invented podcasting. Uh, he and his co-host, John C. Dvorak, who was wrote articles in the back of every computer magazine you read as a child, uh, they have done a podcast for over a decade, and it's just deconstructing the media, and it's fascinating. Fun fact, Adam Curry lived right next door to us for about a year when we were in Austin, Texas. Oh my goodness, a brush with celebrity. I'm currently right, trying out you. Robot or Not, which is also an option. What's that? Well, they discuss whether or not things are robots. <laughs> That actually sounds great. I'm very curious. <laughs> very brief episodes. I think you you would get far in this podcast. Yeah. Good to know. I was going to recommend the Thinking Elixir NX episode if you haven't listened to it already. Yeah, I did check that out. Um, and I certainly recommend that our listeners do too. Thanks for that, Alex. And that's nice and reciprocal because we got a shout out in that episode. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Thanks for the suggestions, guys. I will certainly report back and let you know my reviews of these podcasts. And thanks again to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time. What a fun topic. Just sit around and talk about what makes Alyssa and our length so great. Who would have thought we would have so much to say? <laughs>